Hey guys, it's Sarah. Before I bring you into Sawyer's world, I want to remind you that you can now share your story via email to be read in an episode. If telling your experience is not for you, but you feel that writing it out, short or longer, would benefit both you and anyone else that could learn from your experience, send me an email, spaceandpurpose at gmail.com. I felt like Sawyer brought me into a conflicted world she lived in for about 10 years that she now realizes was extremely unhealthy and super disconnected from reality. She just moved away from home, was making new friends in a totally new environment. So I think it's pretty safe to say she was in the perfect setup to sort of be the frog in boiling water, so to speak. A really entangled situation crept up on her. In this first episode, She lays the foundation and sets up the complicated dynamics between her, Ryan, and Madison. Keep in mind that this unfolded for about a decade of her life, so she's giving us a two-hour version that I'm splitting into two parts. The next episode is where we'll talk about how the toxic triangle fell apart. Then how little nuggets of truth, no matter how painful they were, helped her slowly disentangle herself. Something she said that I would love to add to my favorite list of quotes from this podcast It's possible to experience good things with people who are not good for you. When you deeply come to love someone, you don't want to imagine the possibility that they're not good for you. I'm Sawyer. I grew up in the church and I didn't just grow up in the church. I kind of grew up in front of my church because I was always very involved in music. So whenever our church started getting into the contemporary praise and worship music stuff, it was something that I just kind of threw myself into in seventh grade, which in retrospect was just way too early for for somebody to be up in front of a group of adults leading them in that kind of setting. But eventually, I mean, I stayed in that for a while and I was brought on staff and hired as the worship leader whenever I was in college. And honestly, as far as church experiences go, I know a lot of people who had far more traumatic experiences in the church. So mine was overall pretty good. I was very loved and cared for by the congregation I was part of and I was given opportunities to sort of grow and given space to be myself to an extent because it still was a traditional church setting. So I was raised and taught things like we live in this world so that we can die and go to heaven. And this is just temporary. So make sure that you are doing what you need to do to enter into eternity, into glory and all of the things like premarital sex, bad, forbidden, dirty, homosexuality, same-sex attraction, however they wanted to refer to it so that it didn't, I don't know, the disease didn't infect them too while they talked about it. It was an abomination and just never entertain it. And as long as those certain things, shared understanding of those things, everything was cool. We were good. And I was never not in front of the congregation. So the majority of my life was on display for these people who I grew up in front of. So that meant good and bad. But for me, it was mostly good or a pretense of good because 
I am a rule follower. So I hate conflict and confrontation and I hate disappointing people that I perceive to be in authority over me. So if someone is making the rules, I want to please them and I don't want them to yell at me. I was always falling in line with everything that they told me, no sex, no partying, no lying, no unhealthy, sinful thoughts or feelings, definitely not same-sex attraction. I liked boys and they didn't like me and that was fine because I was convinced or I convinced myself that if I waited long enough, the perfect man would come along and he would sweep me off my feet and give me all of the romance and connection that my heart so desperately yearned for. And that's what I was told I should want. So I wanted it. I thought I wanted it. And I didn't really date at all in high school because I thought that pursuing a relationship with someone would sort of inevitably lead to me backsliding in my faith, which was, oh boy, avoid that. And I avoided boys and it worked out because they avoided me too. But I also just couldn't really stop feeling like something was wrong with me because I wasn't getting attention from boys. And I thought maybe I'm undesirable. If men aren't looking at me and wanting me, what is that saying about my worth as a human being? Even if it wasn't their attention that my heart was deeply craving, I kind of felt unlovable without it. So whenever I went to college and a seemingly charming, charismatic Christian man very heavily pursued me for a couple months, I was just hooked on it. It was kind of, honestly, it felt a little bit like a high because he presented as everything that I ever thought I wanted. And I was swept up in this flurry of romance and the chase and all of it. So I thought I, I loved him. And when he ended things with me only a couple months after we met, I thought he broke my heart. And I thought that I would never bounce back. And I thought that I still wanted to be with him. But that isn't even who the story is about. That's just the start of all of it. Because after that, I was just trying to fit this kind of dysfunctional pattern that was happening in my in my life and my actions. And I didn't really notice that I was doing that and that I was viewing things in such an unhealthy way. And it's possible that if I had noticed that and been able to pinpoint it from the very beginning, I, I mean, I probably could have avoided a lot of pain and a whole lot more loss. But you can't look back on things and be harsh towards yourself based on how you operated in those moments because you go off of what you know. And I just didn't know. So I went into this ridiculous tailspin. I cut off all my hair. I overdrafted my bank account. I was just trying to find something that would soften that blow of rejection within me because I had sort of given this other person the power to determine my worth for me. So I was trying to get it back and I didn't really do it in a very healthy way. I was just trying to calm my spirit. And I couldn't until in college, I heard about this music program out of state. 
and I immediately applied. It was about a week before the application deadline, but I just kind of had this feeling I need to do this. And it was essentially a semester abroad kind of thing, but it wasn't abroad. It was within the United States in Austin, Texas, and I applied, got accepted. And a few months later, I was on my way to start this sort of very quick, very new chapter of my life. My mom and I went down and that was where I met both Ryan and Madison. And I actually met her first before I met anybody else. We were paired as roommates with a couple other girls. And the four of us were all starting to message when we were making our way down to Texas. And the two of us, Madison and I, started messaging each other separately after we all exchanged numbers. And I can't really explain it. But I just had this feeling in my gut that she already knew way more about me than I knew about her. And I did eventually discover that that was correct. I was right. And she had done all of this cyber stalking and creeping on me. And she she was not really weird about it. There was something about it that was kind of endearing to me that somebody took such an interest in me in particular, because going down for this program, I still, I just kind of felt like I wanted to focus on myself and keep my head in my lane. And I didn't look at anybody or anything. I just wanted to take my talent and my skill set and focus on that. And I knew that if I started looking at the other people who were also going to be doing the recording, the writing, the performing, I would compare. And I think that's common for people. It's not unique to me, but I just knew don't do it. It's not going to be good for you. So it was very almost flattering that she did that and focused in on me. And she was kind and sweet, but very over the top. She was so extra. I didn't think that we would really have a whole lot in common to discuss with each other ever, let alone did I think we would have the makings of people who would ever be close. But there was always something about her that made me feel different than I did about the other people I began to meet, including Ryan, who also came on very strong after he saw me play for the first time. And he was just, he was very complimentary, very intense. And I remember distinctly having this thought, oh my God, please don't fall in love with me. I just, I don't have the time for that. However, looking back on all of it, remembering that moment, knowing what I know now, I really don't think he ever truly did fall in love with me. But that's for later. Because the three of us ended up working very closely together. This program was sort of set up as a microcosm of the music industry. So there were people who were focusing on the writing and performing. There were people who were focusing on the studio mixing and live mixing. And then there were also people who were working on the business side of things, tour management, artist management, all of that. So Madison and I were part of the performing writing side and Ryan was part of the mixing, the engineer side. And we were working very closely together. And 
all of our relationships, we're progressing together as a trio and then as separate duos. And then the three of us were just weird triangle of, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was codependent for sure. And Madison and I were definitely the closest by far. We, we just kept talking and sharing and staying up late and getting to know each other. It's interesting because I can't remember the specifics of what we talked about early on, but I do remember sitting in Target with her on these display chairs and thinking, this is a lot. Like we were diving off the board straight into the pool before we even learned how to swim. We were sharing things with each other that just felt too intense for people who had just met. Healthy people would see that as a red flag, but I wasn't healthy and I was charmed by it because I felt special and seen and wanted and loved in a way that I had always wanted to feel, but never really had. So I ate it all up, even if there was sort of a rub within myself thinking, this probably isn't normal, but I didn't care because I didn't want normal. I didn't want healthy. I wanted different. I wanted special. So eventually within this four-month program and period of time, we were just all inseparable, all inseparable. Ryan was dating a girl back from his college, but people were talking about how he was just so into me and so in love with me, even though we had literally just met and my subconscious was warning me about it. And all the while, people were wondering what was going on with Madison and me because it was just so, again, codependent, which we referred to ourselves as codependent, but we didn't care because we just felt like this experience is so important and formational. And it just felt like nobody in the world could ever understand what we were experiencing. So all we had was each other. It, it was just a self-perpetuating bond of we were there, we were for each other, and nobody outside gets it. So we'll just have to keep getting closer and closer so that we can further understand each other. It was just so it was hard. But we we loved it. We really felt like there was nothing wrong with it. And the more that we got to working with each other, especially Ryan and me, everybody started sort of talking about how well he and I got along and how well we worked together. And I had this sense that he was the type of person I should be interested in. He presented as a very godly man. He had a very good work ethic from what I could see. He saw me, he loved my music, he appreciated what I was doing and he wanted to help and be part of it. And all I really wanted was to be wanted. So if it seemed like he wanted me, despite the fact that he was dating somebody else and very unavailable, I started to sort of convince myself that I wanted him too. I just didn't feel it yet. So I started confiding in Madison that I liked him because I felt like if I just tell somebody 
that I like him. Maybe then I'll start to feel it. Maybe I'm still hung up on this guy from my own college and that's keeping me from liking him. So I just have to sort of kickstart the process on my end and everything will be good. But look at him. He's essentially perfect. You should want him. So just go for it. And after I told Madison about that, things started to move very quickly. She took it upon herself to be our matchmaker. And I just continued to force myself to say things that I didn't feel in hopes that I eventually would feel those things that I was saying and everything would line up. And it did. And it's interesting to look back on things because as I was, as I was sort of going through this timeline, noting all of the things that I did feel within myself that could have been signals to me that something was off. You do feel those things in the moment, but because whatever external reasons, internal reasons, it's easy to explain them away. And it did make me pause and wonder why I felt more strongly about Madison starting to date someone else than I ever felt. My feelings were never as strong about Ryan being with someone else. I should have clocked that in the moment, but I didn't. I just determined the guy that she was with, I mean, he was not that great. It is what it is. But I I just said, you want her to be with somebody who is deserving of being with her. That's all it is. You're protective. She's like your sister. You, you wouldn't want your sister to date somebody who is terrible. That's all it is. But that was not all it was. After we moved back home when the program ended and we, we just still, we were all talking all the time. We got home and within a few days, we had already made a plan to take a trip to see each other. It was like we just were magnetized to each other. It didn't matter that we didn't live in the same cities. It didn't matter that we had just spent four concentrated months with each other. We just needed to do whatever we needed to do to get back to each other. Madison continued to date this guy who I could not stand. And again, he was kind of unstandable, but it was just simply because he was dating her that I couldn't stand him. She kept pushing Ryan and me to be together. I think it was right after he moved back home that he broke up with his girlfriend and we got together. I went out of my way after a trip seeing Madison to go see him. And we got coffee at this little shop in his hometown. It was very weird. It felt like maybe it was a date, but I didn't feel anything. But I was just kind of waiting for him the whole time to say, I'm interested in you. And he didn't. Very awkward. We didn't really talk about anything, not only of substance, but anything exciting at all. It was just weird. But whenever I did finally make it back home, I just decided to rip the Band-Aid off and text him and say, listen, I like you. What's going on here? Because everyone was telling me, he likes you, he likes you. And I thought, well, then why didn't he just say that to me himself? Why is everybody else telling me this? Why is he not the one to communicate his feelings to me? 
And after that, he finally admitted that he did have feelings for me and it was doing nothing for me internally. But I kept saying he likes me a lot. He cares about me. He's a good man. Just go for it. Seriously, what's the worst that can happen? After we had that text exchange, things started progressing towards a relationship and nothing about it ever, ever felt right. Our little gang just continued to take these trips. Once a month, I think that summer, we took trips to see each other. And the very first time I saw Ryan after we expressed our feelings for each other, we, I will never forget it. We sat up all night on my parents' couch in their living room, side by side, saying nothing. We spoke not a single word to each other. And I thought, this is kind of awkward. And in that moment, it may have been towards the end of the night, he said to me, I love that we can just be around each other and not feel the pressure to say anything. There is something to be said for couples who don't need to fill every moment with words and conversation, but also having having the option to have a conversation is also pretty important. I think you need to be able to talk to each other a little bit. Looking back on it, I think that that's just kind of his default setting is not communicating. Just to clarify, this was the first time that you guys had had one-on-one time with each other after expressing feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what ended up happening. Yep. I think we held hands, if I'm remembering correctly. He put his MacBook on the coffee table, put Lost on the show, Lost, and let it play. And we weren't watching it, but we weren't talking. And seriously, it was from whenever he got in that night, which I think was late night, but it was still probably 10 or 11. We sat there until I think three in the morning. It was weird. And I'm an introvert, so silence doesn't bother me by default. But even for me, I felt like I want to talk, but I don't know what to say to you. That was kind of what it felt like. Every time I would try to revive a thought in my brain to ignite conversation, I I hit a wall. I just didn't know what to do. This doesn't seem like the context for one of those comfortable silences. This doesn't seem like the time for that. It was not. The further he got into the breaking up process with his ex-girlfriend, the more open he was about how he never said that she was crazy but you can communicate to people that you think someone is crazy without saying someone explicitly is crazy. Sure. And do you think that was valid? Just my own, my own mind. In the moment I did. Yeah. When he was sharing it, all I had was his perspective. And I was so young. I didn't really have the skill set of learned empathy yet. So I couldn't quite imagine her side of things. And he just seemed so, again, he seemed so wonderful that I felt like, of course, he's in the right and she's in the wrong. And she, he presented her like the stereotypical, overly attached Christian girlfriend who 
just continued to believe that they were meant to be together. And I never really got any details of their breakup. It was just, he communicated to her, it's over. She couldn't let it go. She kept reaching out. He would just throw little nuggets in there every now and then. And he did also make it a point to emphasize that towards the end, all they did was fight. He would just throw little asides in there in conversation with me about how much he appreciated that we never fought and how much he loved that we didn't argue or didn't disagree. And for me, that felt like validation of what I grew up to do. This is right. This is a good thing. Yes, exactly. Oh, it felt like a gold star. Like I'm mm, winning. Yes. And since my feelings still weren't where I wanted them to be, that was the kind of validation that kept me going. I'm a good whatever I am because we weren't official yet. Another big stink he made about making sure that he and the words he used were remained a bachelor for the summer because he had just gotten out of this relationship and he didn't want to jump into anything, even though he was very actively pursuing a relationship with me, which again, felt a little contradictory in my mind, but he was saying all of these things that sounded so great and so noble. And the older we get, the more we see through actions like this. But when you're young and you're wired the way you are, and side note, we are wired the same when it comes to that. It's like crack. Mm -hmm. It's knowing that you are somehow filling that gap or you are achieving that goalpost. It is like a drug. It's like, well, I may not feel that this is for me, but this is still right. Exactly. Because you are doing something that is right for someone else who just keeps validating you and your personhood and your talents. And because he did that all the time. And it was pretty exclusively related to my musical ability that he would affirm me. So again, hindsight, but in the moment, it just felt like this is how we met. This is how we connected. Of course, he's going to notice that. And of course, he's going to be championing me and my music. And it all just kind of kept me around because it was validating that I had something to give to the world. I was just doing things right. I was checking things off of his list that he made and gave to me. And I just felt like I'm, I'm doing it. I'm killing it. Awesome. After his summer of bachelor life, we made it official in, in September. And then shortly after that, we did both separately move to Austin. He was going to pursue a career on the technical side of things. And I was going to try to, you know, musician, artist. It's hard, but that was what we decided we were going to do. And it was separate. We both made these decisions for ourselves. So I will say that for us, I wanted to do this for me. He wanted to do that for him. And it just so happened that we were now dating and moving to the same city. He traveled a lot the first little bit that we were both there. So I was by myself a lot. And honestly, the only real thing that I actively looked forward to were the moments that I knew Madison was coming to visit and we would be able to be together and spend time together. In those early months, nothing happened. It was just 
friends who were excited to see each other, but we were very physically affectionate with each other. We always slept in the same bed and we, any chance that we would get, we would be hugging and we would hug for minutes at a time. And we would just make sure that we were touching as much as possible. I think that too sort of contributed to me staying in the relationship with Ryan because being with her that way sort of made my heart feel all of the things that I wasn't feeling with him. So I was still sort of getting that connection with a human being from someone else, even though I couldn't quite put my finger on what I was feeling and why it was such a stark contrast to what I felt with Ryan, which was not much. Her plan was to move down as well the following January and join me in my apartment then. So all I kind of had to do was wait until she got there. And I really was counting down the minutes because even if Ryan and I had been on the same page emotionally, I was alone. I was by myself all the time. I didn't really know how to make friends because surprisingly, Christian College didn't really equip me with the skill set to meet people and go out and find friends in adulthood. So I was by myself just a lot. I was in my head a lot and I was working at Starbucks, crazy early hours, long hours. And it was sort of a moment of what am I doing here? I don't, I don't really know why I'm here. I couldn't find the words to process the thoughts, but I just knew I was very unsettled in myself and in life. But I just felt like if I can make it until Madison gets here, then I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good. Kind of coasting through all of it. I went back home for Christmas that year and Ryan came to visit me and be around me and my family. And he and I went out for coffee the day that he was going to head back home. And he started the conversation kind of saying, this is going to be awkward and uncomfortable probably, but I just feel like I need to share this with you because I feel like you're not really in this relationship with me the way I'm in this relationship. And if that's the case, that's okay. I just want to give you an out. And I don't remember his exact wording, but that was the gist of it. There was something about his presentation of it that, again, just felt so noble and so selfless that it made me not only feel, but say to myself, I will never be able to do better than him. It's either Ryan now or no one ever. There was a very intentional pivot point in my mind where I still wasn't feeling anything that he was feeling. But I decided I'm in this and I am going to make this work. And I did. Going back to Austin after Christmas, getting ready for Madison to move, which she finally did. And she broke up with her douche canoe boyfriend. It kind of just felt like my entire world was starting to make sense because she was there now. And I was in this relationship with Ryan, for better or worse, he was it for me. It did begin this balancing or juggling act, whatever it was, it was, it was an absolute circus of prioritizing both of these people because Madison had sort of all but pushed me into this relationship. 
And she was always trying to create these situations before we started dating where the two of us were together and just talking. And then she would always comment about how perfect we were together. So whenever she started getting weird and jealous and possessive of me, whenever I would go to spend time with him, I didn't really know what to do with that because she became despondent. I would be getting ready to go out the door to hang out with him because he had been on the road and just got back and I was in. So I wanted to make time for him. And she, she just became a shell of herself. That in itself didn't make me feel guilty, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to leave her to go hang out with him, but I did feel an obligation to spend time with this guy I had chosen to be my boyfriend, especially when she encouraged it. And there was this weird push and pull between the two of them where it always felt like they were both subtly yanking me in their direction but also cheering me on that they just loved that I had the other person there for me to be with. And it was so incredibly confusing. That's the word I kept thinking of. Sorry, I was like, this is so confusing because you seem to have, and she knows it too, you have this emotional connection with Madison that you're obviously lacking with Ryan, but Mm -hmm. Madison is pushing you towards him. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like she's putting myself in her shoes. And trying to, you know, find some compassion for her. Maybe she doesn't know Mm -hmm. what she feels for you either. So she feels, well, this is right. She should be with Ryan, Mm -hmm. but I want her at the same time. But she's not thinking of you in the moment. So this is very, doesn't make it okay what she's doing. I'm just trying to get in her head because what a mess. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And all of the therapy and the counseling that I've gone through since all of this dust has kind of settled, I have been able to get to a place of feeling compassion towards her and kind of understanding, especially knowing the family dynamic that she didn't know what to do. And she I don't think she realized what she was doing, but that doesn't make it any less sick. It was a mess. So I had her on one side, pushing me away, trying to pull me back in. And Ryan on the other side, who was also confusing, That whole weird cycle just kept going and going and going because we all hung out together and Madison started getting slightly flirtatious with me at that point. Very vividly, I remember this moment where we were texting about something totally different and she just kind of passed along this BuzzFeed quiz to me. And one of the questions was, the gist of it was, what would you do if you and your best friend made out? She singled that particular question out and asked me about it. It made me feel something that I couldn't quite put my finger on, but I also felt confused again, because why are you bringing this up when I'm in a relationship with somebody else? It's not fair, but also it made me feel something. So I didn't really do anything about it because it I liked it, but also didn't know what to do with it. But at that point, because she had sent that to me every now and then, every now and then, she would bring that up. Just a flippant comment about us making out, us doing something like that. It excited me in a way that was beyond what I felt when I was actually making out with Ryan. 
But again, just didn't know what to do with that because one thing was right and the other thing seemed untouchable. So I just stored it away in the recesses of my mind, but never really lost sight of it because it was something that came up more regularly than I think it does between friends who are straight. So I logged it away for future use. That following year after the music program, so in 2015, I started yearly taking trips with Madison and her parents to the beach. And it always, again, felt different than when I was with Ryan and his family. There was something about being around her and her family that felt a little bit more natural and easy for me and sort of like I fit into this role that I didn't know what it was But I wanted to stay in that role and I wanted to please her parents and I wanted to make a good impression on them. And I really wanted them to like me and approve of me, approve of what I didn't quite know, but I just felt like I need them to like me. That same summer, shortly after we got back from that trip, actually, Madison had a pretty intense health scare that required surgery. She actually legitimately did almost die. And I inexplicably went to the hospital every day to be with her. It wasn't like I felt like she needed me there. It wasn't like I felt this nagging obligation to be there. I wanted to be there with her. And I refused to leave because I just felt this pull. I I needed to know she was okay. I needed to see her. I needed to be around her. One of the nights before her surgery, I was in the hospital with her and I stayed overnight. And I was sort of on the hospital bed with her as much as I physically could be without making her uncomfortable. I was just kind of leaning and sitting with her and trying to provide some semblance of comfort because she was pretty terrified. And I just kept expressing to her that I would be there for her. I was not going to leave. I would, her parents were obviously not there because they lived out of state and they were trying to make their way down, but they hadn't quite arrived just yet. So I just wanted her to know you're not going to be alone in this hospital. I will be here with you. As I was leaning on the bed with her, A nurse finally walked in and sort of gave her a rundown of what was going to happen, checked her vitals, all that stuff, let her know about potential surgery, what they were trying to figure out. And I got up and moved to a chair. And then after the nurse left, she said something along the lines of, if this were a movie, that would have been our first kiss moment. And again, I'm thinking, what? What? because I loved it. But at the same time, I didn't know what to do with it. I did not know how to process that, especially with everything else that was going on, because there was so much trauma occurring. And the fact that that was something that was on her mind while she was in pain and in this bed and going to have to experience who knew what at that point, it was just a lot for me. She ended up recovering and she came back home and life continued, as did my relationship with Ryan. was progressing. We started talking about marriage, even though none of that felt right to me, but it was still sort of the timing. It just was progressing at a normal rate or it didn't feel too fast or too slow. I'm using air quotes because that's, it is all different. It depends on what feels right for the couple. 
So even though it was standard, it didn't feel right to me, but that didn't stop me from talking about those things with him because again, I just determined I was going to stay with him because I had people around me all the time just telling me how much he loved me and how much he cared about me. And he was always there and thoughtful and sweet. And we just kind of kept rolling right along. And he and Madison were still close, but they sort of started to drift away from each other the closer that Ryan and I got to marriage or an engagement, I guess, the more that they started to sort of argue and disagree. And it kind of felt like this distance very subtly and slowly started to grow between the two of them. At this point, I was still trying to figure out not trying. I was trying to avoid figuring out what my feelings towards Madison meant. And it was difficult for me to do because she started going out on dates with guys. And it just every single time sent me into this ridiculous, unhinged rage that I became somebody I didn't even recognize, really. Even in the moment, I would think, what am I doing? But I could not get a handle on my emotions and I couldn't name them. And I was just so upset and unwell. And there was one particular date that she went on. She was out with this guy for hours and hours. And I I started in this spiral, essentially. I was just this jealous hot mess. And I think part of it was it was very close after her surgery. So I was also sort of still feeling this weird, I need to protect her. But at the same time, she's an adult and I just couldn't handle it. So whenever she came back, I was still in this mess of a state. And in that moment, we did have this like chaotic first kiss. And it wasn't anything good. It wasn't anything romantic even. It was just kind of me trying to prove a point, I guess. And I think even in just talking it out right now with you, I think I was trying to merge the two realities of what she was communicating to me every now and then and what she was doing with her actual behavior. I didn't have a way to put words to it. So in that moment, I just went in for the kiss and I was like, this is what you're telling me you want, yet you're off doing something else. So choose, basically, I think was, and again, very dysfunctional, very not, not the right way to handle it. But I was young. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was experiencing. Didn't know anything, really. That was your way of taking action and Mm -hmm. communicating in the moment. She'd been pretty clear. From an outside perspective, (laughs) she'd given you the full green light. Yeah, thank you. And honestly, even hearing that, because sometimes even now I'm like, maybe I did push a little too hard with some things. But no, I I was just I was driving my car through the green light. Platonic friends do not talk about making out (laughs) over and over. (laughs) Sorry. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. The validation is very good for me. Oh, my gosh. Even still. I went on tour that fall, actually, playing electric guitar for a group. And I was gone for a few months. And when I was on the road, Madison took my place and became a mess. She just hated that I was gone. And the flirtation increased to the point where it was just blatant. 
like before I had maybe thought, am I reading into this? Is this maybe how friends talk to each other? But it was a turning point where I then realized, no, this is not how friends talk to each other. There's something more happening here. And I I loved every second of it. I ate it up. It was everything that I had been looking for in a relationship that I had always kind of felt was lacking. But inevitably, whenever I would meet her where she was and respond with reciprocation, she would come back to me and say, but you're almost engaged. I would think, but I'm not. I'm not engaged to him and I don't have to be if I don't want to be. And if you don't want me to be and if we don't want me to be, I just look back and I think, oh, you poor thing. You just didn't know any better, but it was so bizarre. Whether I was with her or with him, felt like I was in some kind of alternate reality where words were not what they are. Neither feels complete. Neither Mm. is full Mm. and healthy. And you're pulling from one what you're lacking from the other, but Mm -hmm. you're still lacking in the other and you're not getting it from the other. (laughs) And it's, yeah, you're getting chewed up and spit out by both sides. Mm Mm-hmm then both of them would wonder why I was a mess all the time. The physical intimacy between Madison and me did slowly progress, but it wasn't intense. But there were things that would happen where it, again, was cementing that this is not just a friendship, not just a friendship. But things would also happen like the three of us traveled back to Boston and surprised my mom for her birthday, which is around Thanksgiving every year. So we went up for that and for Thanksgiving and we spent the holiday with my family. And it just, it was one of the moments that kept me in that situation. When I was there, I was just so happy that all of the people who mattered to me in my life were in the same room, in the same place. It was disillusioning because it gave me this false, almost like confidence that I could have it all. These moments, everybody got along every, because everybody was performing and pleasing. And it was, it was a good trip. My mom was so happy that we were there. Everybody was happy we were there. Thanksgiving was great. But on Black Friday, we went to a local mall to go shopping. And Madison, literally, I'm not kidding, literally pushed Ryan and me into a jewelry store, prompting us to go look at engagement rings. I knew what was happening and didn't want it to be happening, but simultaneously felt like I could not stop it, could not stop it. She was pointing out all these rings. He was totally unhelpful. My mom was there, sort of. I I know now that she also felt like this is not the way that this should feel. I was going to ask you what her thoughts were on all this too. There's so many, so many avenues here. (laughs) I know. And my poor mom, my parents both, Because they were so far away from the day-to-day of it, I think my mom knew that something wasn't right with me, but I think she attributed it to primarily the codependency between Madison and me. When she was around Ryan, he was very charming, very delightful, everything that she could have ever hoped I would find. She and my dad both saw just like a tiny little sliver of the truth. Those would be the moments that started to add up for my mom, like when we went ring shopping, where she felt, even if it was just me being sort of disengaged from the process, 
she thought something's not right here, but she didn't see it day to day. So she too started to discount her gut feelings that something wasn't right because it was presenting like it was this good relationship, Ryan and me. I think that in her mind, if I were to just be able to set healthy boundaries with Madison, then I would be able to be with Ryan and have it be a healthy relationship. But the ring buying process was not fun. When I think back on it, I still get a tiny little twinge of a knot in my stomach, just remembering it all and feeling like the ring that I ended up with wasn't even, I don't like rings. I don't wear rings. Again, it didn't feel like me. It felt like what Madison thought I wanted. So she pushed it on Ryan and that was the ring that he ended up choosing for me. He sort of played the ignorant soon-to-be fiancé. I don't know what girls want. I just want to get her what she wants. And I didn't want anything from him. So I guess his cluelessness was valid in this scenario because I wasn't really giving him much to work with. (laughs) He and I were supposed to go visit his family before Christmas that year. And there was a very last minute opportunity for me that came up recording in a studio in town. And I agonized over what to do because I had spent very little time around his family because it was just more difficult for me to get to his family. And he was always jumping on the opportunity to be near my family, which I didn't ask for. He just willingly and freely provided it. He just showed up. I went back and forth thinking, I don't want to disappoint him or his family or cause any issues, but I moved here so that I could pursue a career in music. And now here we go. This is an opportunity and it may not amount to anything, but I am here for the distinct opportunities that I did not have when I lived back home. So back and forth and back and forth, it was so difficult for me to make a decision, but I did. I decided to stay in town and take that opportunity just to see what would happen. Ryan wasn't ever verbally disappointed, but he expressed his disappointment in other ways that made me feel guilty. Like it was a test and I chose the wrong answer. I do remember feeling the frustration in that moment, thinking, are you serious? After years of you missing things in my life because you were choosing your job over everything else, you're going to act pissed at me for finally taking advantage of something. That's exactly the reason that I moved away from home. I didn't express any of that to him because once again, I didn't feel that I, A, had the right because I was the one who chose to cancel the trip to see his family. And B, he just loved that we didn't fight. So I didn't want to fight. I just stuffed it. I think I talked to my mom about it. I mean, ad nauseum, I talked to my mom about it because I wanted to make the right decision. But it was another one of those moments that just felt like, What I'm hearing and what I'm seeing are not adding up. And once again, I'm the person who is coming out on the losing side of this thing. And I just couldn't understand why. But we made it through the studio time. It it didn't turn into anything, but I met some cool people and made friends and got some demo tracks. It, It was, I'm glad that I did it. 
that's all you can ask for. It's so hard to know. You have to take those opportunities. Mm -hmm. You never will know, Mm -hmm. but you do. You do have to take those opportunities. In January of 2016, my mom came to Austin for a work trip. She was there for a couple of days and it was really nice to see her. But as her trip went on and I was hanging out with Madison, I started to get this sense. There was a plan that was forming for me to go meet up with Ryan somewhere. I can't even explain to you why I thought this, but in my gut, I felt he's going to propose to me tonight. That's what's happening. This overwhelming feeling of dread started to build within me. I just knew, I knew tonight is the night because Madison was acting weird. My mom was in town and she was kind of being responsive, but not really. And Madison, who wasn't really, she was never as discreet as she thought she was. So I I could just tell by her body language and her behavior that something was happening and she was pushing me out the door. And so I got in my car without her. We were going to the same place and we were meeting at this place in separate cars. So I was able to at least take that moment in the car to sort of center myself and hype myself up as much as I could thinking this is the moment, this is it. And that was the night that he proposed. I met him at the warehouse where he worked for this production company. So basically, picture the back of an alley That's where I got proposed to. It was inside this warehouse. He did set up a light fixture and he was in a suit that didn't really fit. And he had a friend of his composed, a friend of his who was a composer, a literal orchestral composer, create this piece for the moment. And whenever the garage door opened, he was there. My mom was there. There was a photographer there. Madison was there. And while it did sort of feel cinematic, it was almost like more in line with a Lifetime movie than it was an actual feature film. It just felt very flat. It didn't feel, again, like it was specific to me. It just felt like piecing things together, all from different puzzles, just trying to make a picture work. And it felt cheap and tacky, but Obviously, a lot of people put time and energy and creative energy into this. So I felt as though I should be delighted by it, even though I wasn't. But there was that recognition of, well, if I don't feel grateful for this, then I'm just that picky bitch who (laughs) wanted too much. You're the problem. Yeah, I'm the problem. So, and that was a common theme throughout my relationship with him, especially after that conversation on Christmas the previous year where he gave me an out. I felt like, ah, so it is me. I'm the problem. He's perfect. I'm the problem. So whenever something, an issue arises in our relationship, I just have to make sure I'm the one who deals with it because it's probably originating from my end anyway. It was no different with the proposal. However, after the engagement, I did notice that his behavior started to shift a little bit. And it was very subtle, but it was something that pinged my attention because he was always very interested in the the physical aspect of our relationship. That was not news to me, but it became much more prominent after we got engaged. He sort of started to check out emotionally 
There was one day in particular where he was over at my apartment and we were spending time together. Can't remember what happened, but something happened. And I was PMSing again. So I was in a mood and whatever happened set me off. I got really frustrated and started to get a little worked up. And I remember him looking at me in that moment in a way that was very disconcerting, as if his face was saying to me, who are you and why are you losing your mind? Who the heck are you? And what have you done with my reasonable, docile fiance? I honestly had to take a beat. I had to go to the bathroom and compose myself because I felt like I was being crazy. I seriously didn't want him to see me being anything other than a normal person. So you didn't feel like you could express, what is it that I'm trying to say? Because our emotions can span a spectrum, especially if you're hormonal. You should feel free to be yourself, obviously without being cruel or mean to someone, but you didn't even feel the freedom to express maybe a less than polished side of yourself. Mm -hmm. And it did make me feel like I was behaving in a way that wasn't acceptable. And I think that was what got under my skin so much because it was as though there is acceptable behavior, there's unacceptable behavior. You cross the line into unacceptable, go fix it. And he didn't communicate that to me, but I did feel like go to your room until you can show that you are able to act presentably. It was weird though, because gone was the man who drove all the way to my apartment just to drop off chocolate for me, even though I asked him not to. He just couldn't be bothered by me. Now you're an inconvenience. Exactly. He seemed mortified that I was anything besides pleasant and agreeable. I think it was something, I don't know if he did it or if it was something that came out of something he said or did. That was what set me off. And it felt like maybe I had challenged him in some way that he didn't appreciate. And that was sort of his response to it, that what is wrong with you? Calm down. That just kind of continued throughout the process of planning the wedding, which was not good from start to finish. It was fine. It wasn't anything dramatic in terms of the details or logistics of the wedding itself. But I, I did not enjoy it. I hated every second of it, honestly. Madison just swooped in. She was my maid of honor, of course. She took the lead and just kind of really, really ran with it. I never felt like it, again, was my wedding. It didn't feel like it was specific to me, but I didn't necessarily mind in this case because I never wanted it to be. And I don't think I had the words for that, but in my gut, I felt this is not for me. I don't want it to be for me. But we continued in this weird codependent trio. And on my birthday that year, the three of us went out with a friend. We had drinks. And while we were sitting in a line, all four of us, we were, I mean, we were at a bar. So we were pretty close to each other. It didn't take much to hear what was going on between conversations. So while Ryan was talking with our friend on the other side of me, Madison and I were having our own little dialogue, which was pretty par for the course. We would break off on our own and just talk and talk and talk. And she asked me in that moment, in the heat of planning my wedding, so when do you think we are finally going to make out? I was so, so caught off guard 
not just that she asked it at all, but that she asked it with my fiance sitting maybe six inches away from me. It was such tight proximity that I wasn't sure if he did. He didn't hear it. All of these things were happening in my head so quickly, but I didn't want to lose the moment because I knew I could, I saw how quickly she would switch from, I'm talking to you like we're dating and go to, but you are with Ryan. So we can't. So in that moment, I responded with something along the lines of, it's only a matter of time. Looking back, it's like, oh my God, girl, read the room. What are you doing? He's, he's right there, first of all. And Madison is pushing you toward Ryan. Understand that this is not how normal people behave, but I didn't. I was so enmeshed in this situation at this point that it didn't even seem abnormal to me. It just felt like this is what we do. This is our routine. And I know how to perform in this situation now. Just be pleasant with him. Be responsive with her when she's willing to talk about these things with you. But then once she shuts it down, let it go. Don't push it anymore because you're with him. Quick question, because Mm -hmm. you guys had been more physically affectionate. Had there Mm -hmm. been a lapse in time since that had happened between the two of you? And is that why she was bringing it up? Or would you think she was just pushing a button in that moment? Mm, I think it was because of the time that had elapsed because it was... Nothing had really happened post-engagement between the two of us. So it had been a little while. It had been a while. And she was still sort of going on casual dates with guys, but there was always a reason that she didn't like them and it didn't work out. That was my next question. So she wasn't seeing anybody at this time either. No, she was not. Mm -hmm. Okay. She was still single. Yeah. Was she sober in this point? You, You guys said you were, you said you were at a bar? Yeah, it was early in the evening. I got pretty drunk that night because it was my birthday. I think I would have too. (laughs) It was a swanky speakeasy. Yeah. And probably because of all those other things that were happening. I just, there's a lot going on, needed some drinks, but I did. There is a point in the evening where my memory gets fuzzy. And this was before that. So we had not been at the bar that long for either of us to be. Yeah. I'm just trying to get full context here. So I know. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yep. Most of these conversations happened when we were just completely stone cold sober. So that, yeah, yeah, that should give you some context for where both of our heads were in the moment. Mm -hmm. This is your normal, I think. You put it really well earlier. Like, it's not just even that you're too far in. It's that these are your people. You Mm -hmm. need them both for different reasons. This is the life that you have now. It's not, Mm -hmm. it doesn't occur to you that, oh, this is abnormal. This is unhealthy. This is dysfunctional. Exactly. And I think that that's the thing for people who haven't experienced relationships like this. They always question how it's possible to to get so deep in them. And nothing ever feels abnormal because one, when it starts, people do know how to behave normally. At the beginning, it does just feel like you're meeting someone and it's exciting and you can get swept up in that sort of positivity and the and the feelings of that. But then once you're in it, it is your normal. So you don't even have the capacity to imagine a life that is anything but that. You have good memories with these people mm-hmm. too. They're not all dysfunction all the time, 24-7, 100%. I'm mm-hmm. sure Ryan knows how, I mean, there are good sides to him. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you had tons of fun with Madison. She was there for you in ways that you needed her for a long time. Mm -hmm. 
it's not like you picked these two highly dysfunctional, dysfunctional individuals and said, I pick you to make me complete. (laughs) You know, you had good memories Mm -hmm. and deep connection. Well, as deep, maybe with Ryan, it was different, Mm -hmm. but you had history with both of them and you had good times. Quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Them. And it's possible to to experience good things with people who are not good for you. I think that that's where it gets very convoluted because especially whenever you deeply come to love someone, you don't want to imagine the possibility that they're not good for you for a number of reasons, whether it's because you're embarrassed that you got so involved with somebody who is such a mess or it's because you love them so much that you can't you just can't wrap your mind around the fact that they're a mess and it would also require you acknowledging that you yourself are a mess it's just a lot of layers and once you're that far in especially with those unique factors of being away from my family away from the friends i knew from college away from familiarity they became what was familiar for me. Wow. Even if it wasn't something that I always really loved, it was something that I relied on to survive, even though it was something that was sucking the life out of me. It's hard to see that in the moment, but it's just difficult to walk away when you're in it that far. Wow. There was something you said that I thought, whoa, it was something like you can experience good things with people that aren't good for you or something like that. That's it. That's it right there. It's painful, but it is important to recognize so that once you become a healthy person, you can set boundaries and you can. My mom always says there's good to everyone. So in in certain circumstances, what you have to do is take what's good and leave the rest and protect your own sanity in the process. And that was something I just didn't know how to do. Very insightful. Yeah. My mom's a wise lady. Mm-hmm. And on your side as well, to receive that and to reflect, to be that introspective and and see that humanity in other people, but also in yourself as mm-hmm. well. I feel like this experience, I'm going to try not to jump ahead, but you were already a deep person, but this has deepened mm-hmm. your sense of self and others in incredible ways. I feel like this probably, I don't want to say aged, this probably matured you like 15, 20 years mm-hmm. of experience. Did. It did. And I sometimes wish that I could have gained that insight and wisdom in a different way, but it it is what it is. And I'm thankful for the fact that it did allow me to kind of, I, I've always been a deep feeler, but yeah, feel more deeply and understand more deeply. And also not just for other people, but for myself too, to understand that I am worth protecting from people who are not able to care for others in a way that's not toxic. We are still planning this wedding, dumb, stupid wedding, the bridal shower, the bachelorette party. Seriously, it was all a mess. And there were so many reasons that it was a mess. And it was mostly the interpersonal dynamics between Madison and my other bridesmaids. But I myself started to become more and more unhinged as the wedding date approached because as it did, Ryan detached more and more from me emotionally. He he went from essentially pounding down my door to spend time with me to making me feel guilty for asking to see him whenever he was in town. I'm not even kidding. Weeks before our wedding, 
I ended up driving seven hours out of state one day to see him in the middle of his tour because that was the only opportunity I really had to see him. And when he was back in town from the tour, he had the audacity to pull the, I'm busy, I'm working all the time, why don't you get that card? Whenever I expressed to him that I wanted to see him and I felt like I wasn't a priority to him. It was such a contrast between the person that he was when we were dating and the person he was now. Right before I was getting ready to commit my life to him, he was once again kind of making me feel like an inconvenience for being in his space whenever all he was trying to do was work. It just continued my own unraveling because Madison was trying to date other people at that point in time. And the person I was choosing to be with seemed entirely disinterested in my existence and being around me. And I was just not okay. I was not okay. And I didn't know how to make myself okay. But I do remember distinctly this one moment, uh, maybe a, a week before the wedding. It was right before I was getting ready to go back home for the wedding. And a friend of ours, all three of us, he came over to assemble this coffee table that I had ordered from Amazon for the house. And he was the one who came to do it because Ryan was out of town and Madison was there hanging out. And I just had this, it was a panic attack because I was picturing my life, Ryan not there, Madison being out dating other people and me having to call someone else for help with things that I couldn't do because my soon-to-be husband wasn't around and the person that I actually wanted to be with wasn't there because she was trying to go off and live her own life. And I didn't need to shower, but I went and I showered and I just was in the room trying to catch my breath because I just simultaneously couldn't fill my lungs fast enough and couldn't get more air in them. It was such this overwhelming moment of, I I think I knew I'm making a huge mistake, but I didn't think that there was a way to not choose what I was barreling towards. To complicate things even further leading up to the wedding, there were a ton, a ton of discussions around our living arrangements, which for reasons I can't quite provide, it was determined that Madison would move in with Ryan and me after the wedding. As much as I wanted to keep living with her, even in that time of my life, I felt like that was the wrong decision. And I kept, I kept asking Ryan, are you sure? Are you absolutely positive? And he insisted every time because he was just so financially responsible that it was going to help us out. It was going to make things a little bit easier in terms of rent and shared expenses. So how could I argue with that? He's making this very fiscally responsible decision and other people, even my parents at that point started to chime in. This doesn't seem normal. Are you sure you want to do that? And every time I... I didn't want to answer with my honest opinion, but I'd be like, hey, Ryan said he he wants it. He's pushing for it. I would just put it back on him. And I think it, even then I was like, I do not want this coming back on me when it inevitably blows up. I just wanted to be stated that I did, with very minimal effort, fight against it. I challenged it. I, t- I don't want to speculate. I am going to speculate his <laughs> position. I wonder if he 
somehow subconsciously knew there was this, he was emotionally disconnected. And so he could maybe even get away with that for Mm -hmm. a while, knowing that Madison filled that for you. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought, especially later on in the story, whenever I reflected back on it, I absolutely think that was what it was because she was there to take care of all of my erratic emotions whenever I was behaving in a way that he didn't appreciate or like or think was attractive. And he would be able to just come back home and then, you know, fulfill our marital duties of being together physically. Um, Return for conjugal visits. Yeah. Sounds terrible. God, that's exactly what it was. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's not, I don't mean to make light of it, but but you're right. Dude, come on. That's exactly what it was. It's like, except, yeah, I was the inmate and he was the one coming to (laughs) get get his jollies off. Oh my God. Madison was a convenience for him. Maybe. No, she was. She was until she wasn't because she took care of the housekeeping and the mess. I think that he was just kind of, I don't know if he has the capability of critical thinking, but if he did, it would have been Madison is cleaning Sawyer up so that whenever I come home, she'll be prim and proper and pristine and everything will be easy. Yeah, Everything will be easy for me while I'm home and I won't have to deal with any of that. Just a spoiler alert so that people aren't on the edge of their seats until we get to how it played out. It did not end well. It was bad. It was very bad. Uh, Everyone who fought against it was right. The warnings, yeah, it was even worse than they could have imagined. But I don't think that will come as a shock to people listening. Nope. (laughs) Surprise. Somehow I was caught off guard by it, but I guess that's part of the disillusionment. Thank you for being here, for subscribing, and for coming along with me as I learn the world of podcasting and this community takes shape. I have so many incredible stories coming next that I'm honestly having a hard time waiting each week to share the next one with you. If you found value in these conversations and you haven't already left a review, it would mean the world if you took a quick moment to write one or just share this with a friend who would appreciate it. Reviews and word of mouth are what grows a podcast. If you would like to help sustain this project, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash space and purpose, and all contributions go directly to supporting the ongoing cost of this podcast. If you can relate to any of the stories you've heard so far due to an experience with a manipulative or toxic person, and you feel you've successfully put some distance between you and that experience, you might want to consider reaching out to me via email so we can talk about sharing your story. That email is spaceandpurpose at gmail.com. Now, this isn't necessarily a platform to out someone or air frustrations, but hopefully to validate or affirm someone else that might relate and needs the encouragement. Last but not least, if you found this episode to be impactful, you will always make my day by posting about it in your Instagram stories and tagging me at Space and Purpose. I would love to hear from you. 